0: Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide. Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In episode four, we'll be interviewing Karen Brody, a world renowned man coach and author of the best selling book, Open Her. Then I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is Unbound. A Woman's Guide to Power by Kasha Urbaniak, And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations to attract love. But first, let's talk about men. I must confess that I'm really craving masculine energy right now. I broke up with someone around maybe two months ago. And to be honest, it was something that kind of should have ended a long time before. It's quite hard really because he was such a nice guy and I think sometimes it can be harder to break up with someone who's a nice guy rather than someone who is an asshole. In the past, when I've broken up with people who maybe didn't treat me well, it it kind of felt as though I'd done the crying during the relationship and then the breakup was a real relief. I'm not really feeling that now, but I know that I've done the right thing, so I'm trying to be strong. But at the same time, I do crave masculine and energy and I'm I'm kind of feeling like I'm craving the next man in my life. And I'm at, at a crossroads in my life that I'm thinking, how am I going to meet this person? I'm kind of a bit clueless really. But I'm kind of trying to do lots of different things to kind of to open myself up to new opportunities. I don't really have a type um, of guy that I like. They've all been so different. However, there are some characteristics that a lot of my the men that I've attracted into my life have. For example, they tend to be quite private people, people who are not on Facebook. They're quite domesticated, which is great for me because I'm very messy. And they are also good cooks, which is fantastic because I love eating. I think I've subconsciously chosen that because I never wanted to be a traditional woman in that sense. Well, there's lots lot to say about femininity, but I'm trying to embrace my more feminine side as well at the moment. But I do like a man who, you know, who is okay with, um, who, who's good at, cu- good at cooking, basically, because I don't really want to be, you know, kind of cleaning up after anyone. I can't even do it after myself, to be honest. So where am I going to meet this person? Well, I'm not into online dating, which is uh, does make things a lot more difficult. And I've never, ever done app dating in my life. I remember when these apps first came out and I saw... That they had a feature that that showed you how many meters away certain pro- profiles were, and I thought that was very creepy. So I always abstained from that type of thing. I've never been on Tinder or anything similar. I also don't like the idea of just reducing myself to a profile picture and a sentence, and maybe a couple more pictures. I just don't want to be. I don't want to be judged like that, and I don't want to judge others from that information either. I kind of prefer to meet people in a more natural environment, for example, in a social setting, which is obviously a lot more difficult now after the pandemic. Well, obviously the world is kind of opening up a bit more now, thankfully. But for me, I just think I have to be kind of socially active as much as possible in circles that, that, um, in kind of, that are related to my hobbies, I suppose, and I would hopefully meet someone with similar values to me. And currently I'm a part of two book clubs. I'm in a spirituality group, a vegan group, and I go to lots of co-workings with other digital nomads and um, people who are location independent. So I'm very active and I do imagine that this person I will meet will be in one of those places, or maybe more, who knows? I have done online dating in the past, years ago, and I did promise myself that I would never do it again, even though I think I have a lot to talk about. Those situations can be incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable. It almost feels like a sentimental interview. Kind of justifying some of your life choices, and um, it's very uncomfortable. But I do believe if you met the same person in a different context, it could be very different. So that's why I favor more natural settings, then to kind of get to know someone over time. And then you might, for example, I'm not. A lot of people who've been in my life intimately, I didn't like them the first time I met them. They kind of grew on me over time. They seduced me. And then one day I suddenly saw them with different eyes. And I always prefer that type of situation because I do think that trust is more sexy than mystery. Well, at least it is for me. And I do believe that when you kind of establish that more familiarity, then you can really flirt. And I love flirting. I love humor. Humor is something that really attracts me to people. Yes, that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm trying to be more open and more sociable. And also, last but not least, something that's very important to actually find someone is actually to work on yourself. I think it's really important to, to work on yourself and uh, as much as possible, practice self-love. And I've heard about this book called Calling in the One. I haven't read it personally, but I'm very intrigued about it. And it's a book that you are not, you're supposed to read, I think over seven weeks and you're not supposed to date anyone during that time. And the in the reviews on Amazon are absolutely outstanding. It seems that lots of people have kind of read this book and gone through this process or growth or whatever you want to call it. And then just when they end the book or just before they finish reading it, they meet the one. So I'm kind of interested in that. I'm very um, open to that at the moment. And um, yeah, working on myself, being busy and let's see what happens. Now it's time for this episode's interview. I'm going to be speaking to best-selling author and man coach Karen Brody. Karen Brody, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much for taking part in this interview today. I'm very happy to have you here, especially after reading that you uh, like salsa and you're living in Mexico. I can definitely empathise with that being British and learning salsa and coming to Spain. <laughs> Um, You're a world-class man coach. And for those who are unfamiliar with this term or your work, what is a man coach?
1: Well, I help men claim their true power and learn to use that power in life and in their relationships with women. So it's very particular to men um, because it's all about helping to heal whatever shame men have taken on around their masculinity, their sexuality, and learning to embody you know, uh,
0: a presence, a sexuality that they can feel proud of. Fantastic, so what inspired you to, to, to do this and, and why men?
1: Well, the inspiration comes from an entire lifetime of experience, mm. of um, pain, of sexual abuse. Um, I knew at some point once I did my own healing work Uh, When I was around 30 years old, well, when I began my process, it's a lifelong thing. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that I wanted to help people heal sexual shame because it had been so profound for me. And um, so I was all over the map. You know, I worked with women. I worked with couples. And then ultimately, I realized that I had this gift for men. and, um, And I got divine confirmation of that at one point. It felt really sort of scary because it was the area that I really needed work. You know, we tend to do the work in which we need our most healing. And I found in working with men that not only did it heal me and my pain around men and sexual abuse, but um, I learned the way over time for what men really needed. And it wasn't me sitting down and just telling them all about how great women are. (laughs) <laughs> that's initially where I started. Um, but I learned that there was wounding for men and, um, and that they needed people, resources, to help them see the beauty and power in what they brought to the world. And once I started down that track, the work got really deep and profound. And it changed me in my perspective towards men entirely.
0: Fantastic. Um, so what profile of... Um clients do you have are they single are they married are they in a relationship
1: well that was another refinement process so I worked with single men initially and um, that had its sort of flavor of excitement but then when I I started to uh, really refine the work I realized it was married men that I felt most inspired to work with because um, of their investment You know, men who come to me are really invested in being the best men they can be. They're invested in the love they have for their partners. And it allowed me to go a lot deeper in the work with them. And it also allowed me um, passively to give women the love that I knew that they wanted in their relationships. So married men are my guys.
0: Well, that's interesting. So is, it, is that something that they think, them, is, are they inspired themselves to go to you? Or is that something that their wives kind of, is it, who, do you know whose idea it is? Or is it just, does it just depend from case to case? Is it usually something that, that's a part of couples therapy or is it the wife's idea, the man's idea?
1: On occasion, uh, women who follow me will suggest to their partners that they work with me, but generally it's men trying to do it on their own because that's what men do. So they start with some research, Um, They try out a few different things on their own and then they realize it's somehow not working and they reach out to me. Um, Sometimes it's also that they have been to therapy with their partners and the therapy just never touched on what was most important to them and that was healing their own sexuality or healing the sexual relationship. So they too come
0: to me. So sexuality is the main issue then, I suppose, with your clients. Is that true,
2: do you think?
1: It is the main issue. It's it's like the gateway. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we work together and I get to know them better, it's often not just about sex. But that's uh, frequently where men start. That's where they're experiencing the most pain and the, the, the most confusion.
0: Okay, because so I think people think that men just think about sex in a physiological Um, aspect but I think it goes way deeper I think even lots of male sexual behavior is more emotional than than what we give them credit for would you agree with that
1: absolutely and that's the most important thing I learned about men and the most healing thing for me because like most women I was educated by my mother and grandmother to believe that men only cared about that one thing and it was very painful for me because I was an ideal idealist, you know as as a girl. And when my mother told me that men couldn't be trusted because they were only after one thing, I don't think she realized um, how profoundly that would damage my sense of men because it sets up it sets us up not to trust them. Mm. And so yes, what I discovered is that men are about so much more than that because, they use sex as a gateway to their hearts. And so they often can't articulate why it's so important to them, and I help them do that, but it has to do with this sense of feeling um, that they belong with a woman, um, that a woman opening herself to a man sexually says, I trust you, I love you, I honor you, and um, When that invitation isn't there, a man feels desperate, lost, um, like he has somehow failed um, to give his gift to his woman. So how important is sex in a relationship? Well, we have to go into a lot here Venus, when we we talk about that question. Um, I love this question, though, and I've been exploring it throughout this entire time of working with men because it comes up a lot in the way that I hold it, in the way that I coach men, um, in the way I want to encourage them to hold their sexuality. And this is what I've come to know, is it's only important when we make it important. And so one of the ways that we make it important is through our unspoken agreements. So one of those most important agreements is marriage. Now, most people will tell you unless they're really conscious that they never talked about a sexual agreement before they got married. And yet you know that most people in their hearts believe that when you marry, um, part of that is being sexual partners and part of that is being um, exclusive for each other sexually, Mm -hmm. even though most people don't talk about that piece of it either. They don't talk about why are we choosing monogamy? Why are we choosing to be exclusive to each other? Why is sex important in our relationship? And there are just all of these assumptions. And so when um, when sex wanes, most couples don't know what to do because they don't have an agreement that they can sort of land on. When we have an agreement that's conscious, that's verbal, we can call each other back into the sexual relationship, right, we can say, hey, did you forget this commitment we have to each other? Because it's assumed and it's unspoken. Nobody knows what to do about it and nobody knows what to say about it. And yet it lives there as a very meaningful expectation. And therefore, if the expectation is there on one side or the other, it is important because without it, then, the person who is not getting the sex that they want feels like somehow they've been tricked. Like this agreement that they made, whether spoken or not, has been violated. Does that make sense
0: to you? Absolutely. It's a, it's a really difficult situation. I've been in that situation on on both sides. Um, for example, the side where I was the one wanting more sex and feeling desired, et cetera. And, and then I've been on the other side where... I felt pressure to, to be available all the time. And I think there's also a lot of pressure that, that sex ends, ends with penetration or is defined by penetration when someone is giving you a massage and you think, I want the massage, but I don't want the sex. <laughs> you see what I mean? So, so I think it's really difficult um, to, to have the pressure of being available as well. I think that, I think that's a really difficult situation. Also, I think relationships go through different phases. Sometimes you're not as sexual as other times you might be going through some some really tough experience which might not make you feel very sexual but i always say to people who follow me that to keep to maintain the the intimacy at least you know the kind of the hugs and the kisses and and that side and the massage it's like the physical closeness not necessarily sex doesn't have to be sexual all the time so yeah i know i know what it's like um so do you think sexless relationships are doomed
1: essentially i do <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah unless the people are, um, unless they're conscious and loving with each other and they can presence this fact and make a different agreement, mm-hmm. I think the big issue is that let's, let's take women shutting it down because that's more common, right? It's not mm-hmm. always that way, but it's more common. So let's say the woman shuts it down and this is very common with my clients' partners. And they say, you know, essentially, I just don't want sex anymore. And I I don't desire it. They may be going through menopause, they may not. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: um, most of those women still hold the expectation that their partners should be faithful to them, um, which I find to be really interesting. Now, I think we change and therefore our agreements need to change, right? If we're alive in our relationships, if we're alive in love. Um, but it's interesting to me how the woman might know that this agreement was part of being a married couple, and yet she's saying, I'm done with that, and still holds this expectation that he be true to her. This is where I think it could work if they open themselves to what could be a different arrangement if we actually still want to be in relationship, because there are pieces of our lives that we love together. Um, but oftentimes it's not that way. And then what this creates is a man who feels like a failure, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens when a man feels like a failure in a relationship to a woman? He just withdraws. He gets depressed. um, He may become aggressive. It's just not pretty. And it's not loving to not consider, you know, how to negotiate this new change,
0: yeah, it really does affect your self-esteem and I could see that with my last partner where he was the one kind of expecting more sex <laughs> and, um, and I could see that that was hurting him but at the same time I just didn't want to do something I wasn't really into so it's a very difficult situation to be in and also um, there are so many other things in a relationship like for, for example just the how are you every morning the messages and there's the support and you think is it is the sex kind of, how important is it? I think it's different. I think it does um, raise a lot of questions. So do you think sometimes that polyamory could be an option? or Because that's also can be a quite dangerous for some couples. Do you think?
1: Definitely, I think it could be an option if it can work for both people in that couple. And I think it has its challenges. hmm when two people are sexual, it, it definitely has its challenges because they're, they're constantly introducing a new element. Um, that person is a complex being right, that they're inviting into their lives. And that complex being also has needs. Um, but if a couple isn't sexual together, and they can contract this in a way that feels safe to each of them, I think it could work. But I, I notice very few people are open to that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind of a it's kind of an opening Pandora's box. But do you give tips to men about how to seduce their wives again and, and try and bring some passion back into the relationship? Do you have any any tips about that? I think that's probably a big big issue for so many people.
1: I definitely do, and it usually has to do with the man reclaiming his own power and space. Mm-hmm. So generally, when sexual desire wanes, it's because of Uh, the the proximity that they have to each other, there's no space, there's no freedom really. Um, The creative energy just sort of dies between them. I mean, when, when we're turned on, it's because of what we're creating together, the newness, the sense of adventure, the what might be, right? And if we don't maintain that throughout the years, we're not gonna have a very sexy sex life. It's gonna get really boring. Mm. And so I teach men how to claim their own space um, how to claim a power that's aligned with love, which is around self respect self honoring expressing boundaries that are powerful um All of these things speak to a woman um that she's with a man who's um who's a prize essentially right
2: <laughs> definitely
1: um, yeah. Who, um, who really values who he is and what he brings. And a lot of men get lost in that, especially when uh, they have so much responsibility around caring for the partners or their children. They lose sense of themselves. Um, and this is where the sexiness gets lost. When we're first attracted to a man, he's free, right? Um, it's, it's almost like trying to capture an eagle, right? <laughs> Eagleness to him a spaciousness to him and and we and we want to grab onto him but after a while a lot of guys that i work with become like little parakeets <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh, funny and,
1: and it's because they're tired it's because um they're just essentially trying to get through all the things they need to get through uh, maybe the sex isn't abundant in their relationships so they don't have a lot of energy and or inspiration and um and maybe they're with a woman who's unhappy and who's complaining a lot? And they're just trying to essentially give her what she wants, you know, to make her happy. All of those behaviors, of course, kill attraction.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I really enjoyed your book, Open Her. Because on this podcast, I'm making sure I read all the books from my from my guests. And it's interesting because... Um, I don't think I don't think I'm the target reader as, as a woman, but I, I do I did really enjoy it. And um, here it says activate seven masculine powers to arouse your woman's love and desire. So I really loved the um, archetypes of the men here. It was really really interesting to read. I especially loved the first part of each chapter with your experience with someone who was of of that archetype. I really loved it. And there's some things that I really Resonated with me with my own experience with men, for example. In the self and archetypes, you talk about the the artist, the poet, the director, the warrior, the sage, the dark knight, and the lover. With reference to the artist, I really loved that um, the whole the whole. It really made me think about really seeing someone's inner beauty. It does sound like a cliche, but um, I think some men just um, can only look at a woman on a, on a physical level. And I remember when I was at university. I used to get a lot of male attention, but um, some people used to say to me that I was good looking, but I was weird. And I thought, but my weirdness is, is the real beauty, you know? So that's when someone notices my weirdness and accepts me. And, uh, you know, when I'm wearing you no know, makeup and I'm just in my sweatpants and a hoodie, that's, that's what I like, you know, when someone sees me like that and they still find me attractive or just my strange ways because I've never been a conventional person. And I really love when someone can see through the, this the superficial just the this the uh, the physical and i remember once i told this to a guy that i like to be observed and he just stared at me <laughs> he didn't quite understand <laughs> but i think everyone women like to be seen i think you're so right with that with, with the artist and then another um archetype that i found interesting was the director a man taking charge of the situation that made me think about do you think um think men I mean obviously you've been doing this is it right for 14 years now is that correct you've been a, a man coach
1: I think it's been more like 20
0: oh right okay I might have read that somewhere online so 20 years I mean so in that time we've had the the me too uh, movement so I, I must I must ima- imagine I, I imagine that that's really made men very confused about taking the lead <laughs> what what do you think has it affected your your work or do you think men are more confused now
1: You know, because I'm working with married men, not as much so, but the conversation during that did come up several times, and it was really meaningful for me because the way that I was seeing it is that women were finally coming forward in their deepest pain.
2: Mm, You know, women
1: who had held on to being abused, um, sexually harassed, or sexually, uh, sexually abused for, you know, many years and so to me it felt like an opportunity to cleanse to move into a space where there was less of this friction between men and women but men saw it differently and i think the reason they saw it differently is because they are so wounded so um when i saw a lot of anger coming up from men on social media around this you know they were saying for example can't even look at a woman, you know, much less ask her out to lunch or anything like that. You'll be arrested, you'll be put in jail. Um, I started thinking, wow, what a great way to hijack the conversation and make it about men. Um, so initially it felt really bad to me and I started engaging on the topic with my clients. And what I came to realize is that it's because of this wound, it's because of this masculine wound Men are already at this point, like up to here, where they're feeling like, we don't know where we belong anymore. Um, we don't know what is expected from us in the world, uh, alongside women. Our, ro- our roles are being diminished, our roles are being um, eliminated essentially, and women are taking over the world. And there's this sense of being lost for some men, particularly really young men. And so I realized the anger was coming out of that place because it was like, okay, well, here's another thing, right? Don't even talk to women because that becomes a, a potential for um, incrimination.
0: Yeah, well, harassment. them. Yeah, mm.
1: but I think what's sad is, you know, what I hoped that men would do as a coach for men is that they would come forward and stand behind us.
0: Yeah, because I think a lot of men have probably been victims of abuse as well, I'm sure, you know. So, and also, I think it's confusing. Maybe you can empathize with this living in Mexico, here in Spain, at least compared to the UK, there's a lot more, let's say, wolf whistles or compliments in the street compared to where I'm from. And I guess in, in my experience of Latin countries as well. And I think from speaking to men about that, they don't understand how that's offensive to some women. Because I mean, as a woman walking down the street, it can be really intimidating when you see a group of guys and they're all whistling at you or saying things. Whereas for them, they have a good intention. They want to kind of boost someone's confidence and they just don't get it. It's just, it's really strange.
1: Yeah, I think um, think it's complex. I think for one, men don't understand women's fear.
0: Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. But the fear of walking home alone, they don't have that the same as women do or trying to get a taxi home, not, not, not getting a bus, you know, when you go out at night
1: or getting the message all of your life to be careful. Don't walk by yourself. Men only want one thing. Yeah. Uh, all kinds of girls being raped at university. Um, so lots of fears around women being sexually free. Mm. But at the same time, one of the reasons I say it's complex is I also want to celebrate men feeling that they can express what they feel toward women sexually if it doesn't harm them, right? So um, the men you're talking about on the street are appreciating you, right? But it's interesting that if a woman has been harmed or if she does feel fear, it can feel very threatening to her. so we've got this confluence of the two energies, and, and it's, it's complicated. But I think, you know, men could do well to just be a little more sensitive to the fact that women do have these fears of being um, physically harmed or something of that nature. Um, but that we don't want them to completely shut off their expression of a desire for us. I think there's a big difference between sexually harassing somebody and expressing your appreciation for her attractiveness. And I think when men start to say things like, now we can't approach women at all, um, they're really missing an opportunity to refine the way that they hold women. Right? They're just shutting it all down and saying, we just can't approach women now. Yeah,
0: definitely. I think there's also a lot of women who are hurt as well, so they're ex- extra sensitive to it. Now, for me, I just feel like I'm a, I'm a survivor as well, but I, I think me too kind of really helped me heal a bit. I used to kind of ignore things like that in the news, but then it got to a point where you couldn't anymore because there were so many stories everywhere, you know, and I just, just kind of help with them. You just realized that everyone has gone through something, some type of abuse or harassment in their lives. It shouldn't be normal, uh, as it has been. Another archetype that I thought was very interesting is um, The Dark Knight, because I I don't know if you've seen this series called, uh, what's it called again? Sex Life on on Netflix. It's about a, a married woman who was married to this really nice guy but it's actually based on a a real story and she's having all these sexual fantasies about her ex-boyfriend who was a bad boy and he left her when she needed him and he's a really bad boy and and he's quite manipulative, he comes back into her life trying to seduce her. So she's having all these, you know, um, situations with, you know, The nice house, the husband, and the kids, and then all these fantasies about this bad boy. So I was thinking, why do women? um, Why are they attracted to these guys? And I was actually googling it: why do women like bad boys? And and the answer was in some psychological magazine. They felt protected by them. (laughs) What what would you say about that? I think I think um, I don't know. It's it's quite difficult. I think bad boys might be for when you're not looking for a relationship, but we do get kind of caught up with. uh,
1: to how there would be moments where you live with a bad guy and you might feel protected because he is such a badass but i think um more often it's because you don't feel safe with him okay (laughs) um and because uh, there's an edge to him that's mysterious and even feels a little bit dangerous right that gets the sexual juices flowing and you have to consider that our deepest desire as women is to surrender and to be taken right you can't surrender to somebody who's asking you for directions you can't Mm. surrender to someone who's asking you for permission uh you can't surrender to a man who's not present who's not secure within himself so one of the beauties of the bad boy is he has this confidence that he can take you, and he will. <laughs> and most women find that to be thrilling. Will they get their emotional security needs met with this guy? Most likely not. But, um, but he does light that fire sexually, and that's why women fantasize about him.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> um, another thing, you offer a course called Restoring the Sword. What is restoring the sword? And what leads to a weak sword? It's interesting because the word sword is actually linked to vagina. Vagina at its root means sword sheath.
2: So that's interesting.
0: So tell us about this. What is uh, Restoring the Sword?
1: Well, I designed that course for men who wanted to learn how to restore their sexual power.
2: Yeah.
1: who wanted to figure out what went wrong here. You know, where did I lose myself? Where did I lose that edge? Um, uh, and so the course teaches men, you know, all the things that you do unknowingly to give away sexual power. It teaches them how to heal sexual shame, which I find is a huge piece of this whole equation in which a woman starts to resist lovemaking And a man backs up uh, and he keeps backing up. And as he keeps backing up, this chasm between them, it's larger and larger. I have found through all these years of working with men that that's related to sexual shame. So one of my greatest joys is teaching men to overcome and heal this sexual shame because they become just so embodied sexually. And there is nothing more attractive than a sexually embodied man, man who feels... um, No shame, he makes no apologies for the fact that he's sexual. Um, And this doesn't mean that he's reckless or disrespectful or dishonoring with his sexuality. It means that he really holds it in a sacred way. And so that's probably the biggest piece of the course is teaching men to, to change their whole mindset around how they see themselves sexually. The reason a man stays with a woman for many years who won't make love to him and who offers him no other options as we were talking about earlier, is shame because somehow in his mind he was brainwashed to believe there's something wrong with his desire or else he would find another experience, another opening. So that's a big piece of the course. Um, part of it is teaching men to understand women's sexual language. You know, what really what we really mean in the things that we say, what our actions uh, speak to, Um, how to hold a woman emotionally so that you can open her sexually. It's actually a really complex course. And it's just four classes, but we go
0: very deep. Fantastic. So let's see some quick questions. What is the book that changed your life? Do you have a book that's inspired you a lot?
1: You mean in my work?
0: Yeah, or anything in in your healing or discovery or in your work
1: well in my work it would be uh, david data's way of a superior man
0: oh wow i've heard of it i've not read it oh really yeah
1: so i was in uh, marin county california a long time ago uh, It has to be 23 years ago or something maybe 30 oh, i have no sense of time it was a long long time ago and in this alternative bookstore there was david data's book unbound. It was just like a, um, it looked like a dissertation clipped together. And it was really interesting that they were selling it that way. But I looked at it and I saw the title and I immediately knew I have to read this book because I had already been sensing that my work would would go in that direction. My life would go in that direction. And so I picked up this book and um, I just... Devoured it. It was so beautiful to me um, because it spoke to everything I ever wanted as a woman from a man and what I knew was possible between a man and a woman. And um, it had this effect, even of healing me because it showed me that not all men are untrustworthy, um, not all men are out to harm women, etc. And so it opened it opened
0: this whole new world. And I guess being a woman with your work, you, you thought that was, um, there's a real need for that as well, like a woman communicating to a man. I guess there's an extra element of, of power there or connection. Or potential. I thought you said
1: how a woman
0: can. Uh, for example, the David Data book is obviously a man speaking to men. So I guess with your work, being a woman, I guess that that's gives an, another kind of realm of power, you know, or empathy to them, because the, you kind of give them a female perspective. I, I must, that must be very powerful as well in your work.
1: It is. And, you know, um, there were a lot of people before the book came out, "Open her, who said, men are never going to read this book, and especially in that it has been written by a woman. And so I had no idea how it would land. I'm not aware of another woman who had a book like mine before mine. I know there are women who, women who have emerged since then. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it felt really risky, you know. Um, I was concerned that women were going to be upset with me for sort of sharing the secrets
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and and that men uh, wouldn't take it seriously because I'm not a man. But I think you're right. Um, I think what men were able to glean and feel was, ah, finally, like, we're inside a woman's head and body, right? And through these stories, they're able to feel the kind of effect a man can have on a woman, which is something it's, it's hard to feel when you're the one being the effector, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just as for us, like we don't, um, we're not aware of or realize the effect we're having on men entirely because we're not men, mm-hmm. right? But to hear that from a man would be exciting as well.
0: Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> So do you have a phrase, or quotation or affirmation that you live by? Personally? Yeah.
1: Uh, not really, but I can tell you that um, I live to realize potential in myself and others. Um, essentially, I believe that if we can see it, And we can hold it in our hearts that we can create it.
2: Oh, fantastic.
1: If there's a mantra, it would be that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great. So where can people find you?
1: Well, you can go to my website, you know, if you're interested in um, getting my free book, which is called Reignite Her Passion. In this book, I... I include three huge mistakes that men make that are invisible to them in relationships with a woman that kill sexual attraction. Men tell me this has changed their lives and it's based on the many years of coaching men. You can also find out about my coaching on that page, KarenBrodyCoaching.com. And then you can also go to Amazon to get "Open Her: Activate Seven Masculine Powers to Arouse Your Woman's Love and Desire.
0: Fantastic. So you do one-to-one coaching, and then do you have some courses? Are they with you personally, or are they they videos?
1: The course that I have right now is just the Restoring the Sword course, and I'm about to release other courses soon. Um, And that too can be found on my website.
0: Fantastic. Okay. So Karen Brody, thank you so much for joining me today. We've got lots of interesting tips. I'm going to check out your, your new book. Is it Igniting Her? Is that correct?
1: Reignite her passion.
0: Oh, Reignite her passion. That sounds perfect for the kind of men who want to seduce their wives, I suppose. Thank you, Venus. I enjoyed it. Fantastic. Okay, thank you so much. The book I'm reading now is Unbound, A Woman's Guide to Power by Kasia Erbienak. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. This book was recommended to me by a friend from a sex book club. And we always read the same book, a group of maybe 10 women, and then we meet to compare and contrast our ideas about the book. One of the members read this and she said, we must read this together. So we are all reading it now and we all love it. And one element or a piece of information that really stands out about this book is the author. She is actually trained as a Taoist nun And she used to be a dominatrix. And this book is the result of everything she learned as a Taoist nun, or training as a Taoist nun, and also from the dungeons, which is very interesting. So it's about really stepping into your power and using language in a way to kind of be more dominant and assertive and to kind of get what you want from life. And it says, stop being a servant of the life you're living and become a creator of the world you want And a bit more about the uh, about the author Kasia Erbinak is the founder and headmistress of the Academy, a secret school that teaches women to step into their confidence and power. She has trained thousands of women worldwide, including artists, politicians, philanthropists, aid workers, lawyers and judges. So her profile is definitely very, very intriguing, and I personally would have loved to have read a bit more about her and her own personal journey, but this book is really a handbook for anyone who wants to step into their power, and it has lots of tips and some of the author's experience, but also there are lots of practical exercises and role plays that you can practice with a partner. And she talks about, for example, language and dominant language and submissive language and how... Dominant language is when your attention is going out and submissive language is when your attention is going in. And I'll give you a quick example of that, which could be quite useful. Well, it's definitely useful for me living in Barcelona, where we can have lots of noisy neighbors. So let's say your neighbor is making lots of noise. What do you go and say? Do you say, excuse me, I need to get up early tomorrow morning. Or do you say, your music is too loud. Turn it down now. I think she kind of favors the latter in her examples. So it's always about putting the attention onto the other person if you want to ask for something. And there's all different ways of asking for different things in life. For example, it could be related to your work if you want a pay rise, if you want more if you want to justify the money you're asking for, for a service or for your salary. And that's very interesting. So I think a lot of people, especially women, we don't really know how to, um, how to assert ourselves. I know that I'm not very good with um, asking for money, but um, there are some exercises here that really help you to ask for, to get what you deserve. And also if someone says no, then you can actually become a bit more, let's say tough or hard skinned or not so affected by that. Yeah, that's that's a very really good example. And And something else that I find interesting in this book is she talks about the freeze. And that was also the subject of her TED talk, where she talks about, for example, you could be a very powerful, confident person. And sometimes or someone can actually ask you a question or make a comment that can really throw you off and make you freeze. You don't know what to say, but afterwards you say, I should have said this, I should have said that. This has happened to me a lot in my personal life about people who have um, really judged me about my job or about the fact that I'm not married or something like that. And I've always kind of frozen at those um, instances thinking, oh my God, I would never do that. I would never be so intrusive to another person. But she talks about if you are in a situation like that and you experience the freeze, instead of like completely freezing, you should try and kind of divert that attention back to the person and ask them a question there are lots of exercises or examples of how to do that so it's a very practical book it's lots of theory some examples and also some practical exercises that you can do where you can actually just read them and then maybe try and apply them to your life or you can actually practice them with a friend which is a great idea to do and that's what we're going to be doing in our our next sex book club it's going to be like a kinky toastmasters in fact on her website there are some resources there is a handbook on how to how to actually host a mistress meeting which is quite quite interesting i'll going to give i'm going to give you the website now if you are interested in that it is weteachpower.com and you'll find a handbook with lots of information about how to host this kind of kinky toastmasters toast mistresses almost or mistress club officially and of course if you don't if you can't host your own um, mistress club you can always read it and hopefully apply it to your own life so you can step into the power anyway i hope you find that that as fascinating as i did and i hope um, i'm going to be learning a lot from this and applying it to my own life now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation it's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery instead take a break from whatever you're doing get comfortable Take a deep breath, and enjoy.
2: I am ready for love. I am worthy of love. I deserve to be loved. My soulmate. Loves me just as I am. My heart is open to give love. My heart is open to receive love. Love starts with me and I love myself. I am ready for love. I am worthy of love, I am ready to meet my soulmate, I am open to receive love, I am holding space for my soulmate, I attract love by loving myself first. starts with me, and I love myself. I am ready for love. I am worthy of love. I accept myself as I am, and so does my partner. I deserve a happy, healthy, loving relationship. I deserve the support of a loving partner. I deserve to be with someone who treats me well. Love starts with me and I love myself. I am ready for love. I am worthy of love worthy of experiencing love and passion. My life is full of love. I deserve to be happy. I deserve to be supported. Love starts with me and I love myself. ready for love. I am worthy of love. I radiate love. I am grateful for all the love in my life. I attract healthy relationships. I welcome love into my life.
0: find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus Ohara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.